All right. Well, let's open our Bibles tonight, please, if you will, to the book of Second Timothy. By the way, how many of you brought your Bible? Don't we don't we don't turn till we raise them? I know that by now, twenty-three plus years, and so uh, all right. Second uh, Timothy chapter uh, chapter one. Uh, get it right here in a minute, and I want to read some verses here, page number one thousand two hundred and seventy-nine. If you have an old Schofield Bible, and we're continuing preaching through the book of Second Timothy, and if you'll open your Bibles there tonight, here is a, a couple of other things that I have found out. First of all. Uh, we want to pray for Miss Carrie Davis. She'll be going to the doctor on Friday of this week. You know, she had some bad spells there not too awful long ago, so she's going back about that. So let's pray about those results there. Dwight Denny, Brother Dwight had a biopsy done today, and we want to pray for good results from that. And then Miss Lisa Denny fell today and fractured her wrist. And uh, so please pray for her as well and ask the Lord to bless these folks uh, also as you pray. I, I know you didn't come to uh, hear, uh, you didn't come to hear uh, grandchildren's story, but I, I want to tell you this one. You don't have to laugh if you don't want to. But So my daughter carries Silas to the doctor on Monday, and that's when he found out he had bronchitis. So he called me after the doctor's visit, and he said, Hey, Papa. I said, What? He said, Papa, I got bronchitis. And I said, well, I'm sorry. He said, Papa. I said, what? He said, ain't nobody got time for that. <laughs> so that boy's going, he's going to be a comedian, probably. I was, I was hoping the Lord would call him to preach, but maybe he'll be a Christian comedian. I don't know. So uh, ain't nobody got time for that. I know that. All right. Let's read 2 Timothy chapter 1. I want to begin reading. We're all the way down now to verse 13, and I'd like to read the rest of the chapter if you'll follow me. Look at verse 13. Hold fast the form of sound words which thou hast heard of me in faith and love which is in Christ Jesus. That good thing which was committed unto thee keep by the Holy Ghost which dwelleth in us. This thou knowest, that all they which are in Asia be turned away from me, of whom are Phygelus and Armogenes. And then in verse 16, the Lord give mercy unto the house of Anesiphorus, for he oft refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chain. But when he was in Rome, he sought me out very diligently and found me. The Lord granted to him that he may find mercy, uh, find mercy of the Lord in that day. And in how many things he ministered unto me at Ephesus, thou knowest very well. Now, reading that, you probably are thinking, well, you know, we're glad. Uh, don't understand it. So uh, I, but what I want to try to do tonight is kind of just make a practical application out of these verses tonight and just encourage us a little bit, all right, as we move toward maturity in the Christian life. Let's pray. Father... Would you bless the Bible tonight, the Word of God? And the Lord, use these verses, the uh, truth of this text tonight, to help those of us that are saved to continue to move toward maturity in the Christian life. So help us. Uh, God, may, I, uh, may you touch me tonight and help me as I try to preach. 
And then, God, open our hearts to receive the good word of God, I pray. And help me now, as Paul talked about, to, have, uh, to, to speak the, these words in faith and in love. Help me to have a good spirit tonight. I want to have a good spirit, always. Help me to do that. And just may our, may our hearts be opened to the Bible. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, if you've been with us in these, these uh, Wednesday evening services recently, then you'll know that I've been preaching through the book of 2 Timothy. I'm calling this series of sermons a manual for maturity. The one thing that we all know about the will of God is once we become a child of God and we enter God's fam family as a newborn babe in Christ, it is always God's plan and God's will for us to move on in the Christian life. The problem with too many people is they stay too close to where they got in. I heard about this little boy one night who fell out of the bed and got a big knot on his head, and his mama went running into the room and picked him up. The tears were just flowing, and she said, What happened? And he said, I fell out of the bed and busted my head. She said, Why'd you do that? He said, Mama, I was sleeping too close to where I got in. And the problem with too many of God's people is we live too close to where we got in. You know, once you get in, I understand that. You're there. You've just come into the family. Ain't nothing wrong with that. But, uh, you know, after a while, you ought to kind of move away from some of that and move a little further on in the Christian life. If you stay too close to where you got in, it sure is awful easy to reach back into that former life into that former lifestyle and drag some of that mess that you was in before you got saved over into your saved life. And that's not God's plan. God wants us to move on. So let me say it like this. If you've walked in, may God help you to walk on till we walk out. Because that is God's plan for us as his, as his people. Well, back in 1 Timothy, Paul is writing to 1 Timothy on how to deal with new converts. And by the way, we need, we need that kind of an information. How do you deal with new converts? But then as we move into 2 Timothy, Paul leaves that and begins to talk about, you know, just maturing in the Christian life. In 1 Timothy, Timothy was the, chap, uh, was the pastor, the young pastor of the great church of Ephesus. And Ephesus was a great church in our Bible. It made the Super Bowl of churches in Revelation 2 and 3. Uh, you know, some churches didn't make it in those Super Bowl over there in that chapter 2 and 3 of the book of Revelation, but Ephesus did. And it was a great church. And Paul started the church, stayed a year and a half in the city of Ephesus, and then moved on and left Timothy to pastor the church. And here's this young man pastoring this church, following in the footsteps of the Apostle Paul, dealing with many people who were older than he, and there were a lot of struggles there. <clears throat> so Paul wrote to him back in 1 Timothy to encourage him, hey, hang in there, hang in there. But as we move into 2 Timothy, he's no longer the pastor of the church of Ephesus. Now he's just doing some evangelistic work in the area. And Paul is writing to him now the last letter of his life. In fact, Paul, Paul is about to die. And as he does so, he tries to cast his mantle upon young Timothy to continue defending the faith, winning souls, and establishing churches. I never will forget before JT, Brother JT, got too sick that he couldn't, that he just had to go to bed. He came over here to church one day, and while he was here, I called him. And I said, Brother JT, I'd, if you don't mind, I said, would you come in my office for just a minute? And he did, and I shut the door behind him. And uh, I said, Brother JT, I know you're getting ready to go to heaven. But I said, would you do this before you go? Would you lay your hands on me and ask God to put some of what you've got 
on me. And that man of God put his hand. I, both of us knelt right in the floor, and that man of God put his hands on me. And I'm not even saying I got even a, I got even a centillion of that, uh, you know, but I am saying I asked him to give it to me. And uh, whether God did or not, I have no idea. But I do know this, I want it. And Paul is getting ready to pass off the scene. And Paul is wanting to put some of what he's got on Timothy. And so as he's writing this letter, we've got to understand that Timothy now is going to, in essence, take the place of the Apostle Paul. So as we join our text tonight in First, uh, Second Timothy chapter number 1, we kind of get the understanding now we're moving away from some of those introductory remarks that we read about there in chapter 1, verse 1 down through verse 7. And then last week we found that Paul was talking about the coming of Jesus because he referred to it there in verse number 12 as that day. And boy, aren't you looking forward to that day? Can I tell you something? I wish that day would come tonight. <laughs> I wish that day was today. Uh, I'm ready, man. I told those people at Simmer today, I got one thing I got to go by the house and pick up. Man, I'm ready. I am ready to go. Atmosphere, hemisphere, stratosphere, out of here. Let's go. I mean, tonight, if I don't want to die, but if the Lord comes, I'm ready to go. And he wrote to Timothy. He said, okay, Timothy, whatever you do as we approach that day, don't you be ashamed. Number two, don't you be asleep. Number three, don't you be adrift. And number four, don't you be alarmed. And he wrote about all that and that, those verses in verse 8 down through verse number 12. But as we approach this text tonight, beginning in verse number 13, Paul now is giving Timothy some great reminders just about the ministry, just about church life. Boy, church is an important part of our lives. Those of us that are saved, church ought to be a very important part of our lives. Can I have an amen? And by the way, I know I'm preaching to the church crowd because this is the Wednesday night crowd. And, but you know, church ought to just be, our lives as a child of God ought to kind of revolve around our relationship with Jesus through the local church. And Paul has given Timothy some great advice on church life tonight. As we move toward maturity, there's some things we need to understand uh, about church life. So I want you to join me tonight in verse number 13 and following. And let me give you what I'm going to call three good words regarding church life. All right? Let's begin now in verse number 13 and verse 14. And let me just say this. We find a word of exhortation. A word of exhortation. Now what Paul is doing in verse 13 and verse number 14 is he is exhorting Timothy regarding the Word of God. Let me read it to you. Look at verse 13. Hold fast the form of sound words which thou hast heard of me in faith and love which is in Christ Jesus. That good thing, now he's talking about the Word again, that good thing, that good Word which was committed unto thee, keep by the Holy Ghost which dwelleth in us. Now, if you'll look at verse 13, Paul talks about, in verse 13, if you want to write this down, Paul talks about sound doctrine. He talks about sound doctrine. Look at verse 13. Hold fast the form of sound words, Timothy, which you heard from me. Now, we know. Let me just stop right here and say, well, wait a minute now. If it's sound doctrine and it's the word of man, how can it be sound doctrine? Well, we understand that though the Bible was written by men, the men got the words from God. 
So we understand that though God used different men, 40 different men, living 1,500 years apart, living on different continents, so to speak, involved in different, coming from different backgrounds and different lifestyles, but God used 40 different men to give us what we call the Bible, the Word of God. But we know also that God used those men to write down, as they were inspired by the Holy Ghost, God used those men <coughs> to write down the Word of God so that we could have a Bible. So literally, when I say this, I've got the words of Paul, but more importantly, I've got the Word of God. <coughs> the work. <coughs> Can I have that water? Y'all pray for me. I've got to quit smoking one of these days. It's about to kill me. <coughs> Maybe I can start dipping. I don't know, but I'm trying. All right. What were we talking about? Oh, yeah, Republicans. Who to vote for? Oh, I'm sorry. That wasn't what we were talking about. What? <coughs> we were talking about the Word of God. So he's talking about sound doctrine. If you look at verse 13, hold fast the, sound, uh, the form of sound words which thou hast heard of me in faith and love which is in Christ Jesus. So he's telling Timothy, hold on, hold on to sound doctrine. Now Paul's sitting in jail. And as Paul is sitting in jail, the one thing he realizes is that false teachers and false teaching is creeping into the churches of that day. And somebody has got to stand up and defend the faith and preach sound doctrine. So he admonishes him, he exhorts him, hey, whatever you do, hold on to sound doctrine. Here's what Paul said was happening in his day. Look up on the screens. Paul said, for I know this, that after my departing, now he's writing to the Ephesian elders of all people, so he's writing to the leaders of the church of Ephesus, and he says, I know after I leave here <clears throat> that grievous wolves shall enter in among you, and they're not going to spare the flock. Now tell me something. You put a, a, a sheep, which is referred to as flock, and you put a wolf in the same pen, what's going to happen? Man, those wolves, that wolf is going to devour that sheep. Sheep have no defense mechanisms whatsoever. I mean, they can't defend themselves. They can't sting or, I mean, they can't run very fast. I mean, they can't fight. I mean, they can't scratch. They, I mean, they're easy prey. And Paul said, man, wolves, speaking of false teachers and false teaching, it's going to enter among you, and they're not going to spare the flock. And then he said this in verse number 30, uh, also of your own selves shall men arise, speaking perverse things, and draw, so, uh, to draw away disciples after them. So Paul realized, man, there's a problem going on. And Timothy, whatever you do, you've got to hang on, hold fast, sound doctrine. Hey, Timothy, what I've instructed you, I've received it from the Holy Ghost. I've received it from God. Now you receive it from me as it is from God and hang on to it and preach, <coughs> preach sound doctrine. Now that's important for us for this reason. We know churches are changing. We know preachers are changing. And we know that people are changing. We also know the very first thing the devil attacked in the Bible was the Word of God. I mean, long before he attacked humanity, he attacked the Word of God. God told Adam and Eve, In the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. That was a promise from Almighty God. My mama used to say, Write it down in your little red book and carry it home with you. I mean, God said that's going to happen. But along comes the devil and he says this, Yea, Hath God said? 
You shall not eat of every tree of the, that's in the midst. You know what? He started attacking the Word of God. And can I tell you something? To this very day, there is an attack, an assault on the Word of God. Look at me, church. Hang on to sound doctrine. Hey, don't let anybody come in here and start preaching something or teaching something that doesn't line up with the Bible. Now, you've been taught the Word of God. We just had a preacher that went to heaven back in 2000. Was it 12 or 13, Brother Gross, who pastored here for 45 years and taught the Word of God? And then in my feeble attempts for the last 23 years, going on 24 years now, I've tried to stand up here and preach sound doctrine. You know what the Bible said. Don't you let some jack leg come in and here and start speaking those perverse things. Hang on to sound doctrine. i got to tell you something. Now, this is not some preacher's tale. I'm not telling you something that's been handed down from preacher to preacher to preacher. Let me tell you what I just heard, all right? I'm not going to call names like Paul did a little later, but I'll tell you what I heard. My son was invited out to eat recently by a young man that used to be a member of our church here. This young man is now the assistant pastor of another church, an independent fundamental, or no, an independent so-called Baptist church in this area. And he's there. So he called my son and said, hey, let's go out and eat. And in the process of the conversation, just out eating, this young man looked at my son and he said, I want to ask you something. How do you feel about drinking? And, my, of course, my son said, I don't drink. Amen. And he said, well, uh, he said uh, well, well, why? And he said, well, we don't believe the Bible agrees with drinking, socially or whatever. We're against, we're against drinking. My son looked at him and said, why? He said, well, he said, over at our church, he said, uh, you know, we don't make a big deal about that. He said, at our church, he said, uh, he said we kind of look at drinking today like your dad's generation looked at smoking. And he said, what I mean by that is, you know, your dad's generation said that basically it's just up to each individual about whether they're convicted about smoking or not. And he said, that's kind of how we approach the drinking issue in our church. He said, uh, I know I have men in my Sunday school class that drink socially, and our, our policy at our church is we just don't say anything about it. We just leave it up to people uh, based upon their own convictions whether to or not to drink. Now, that's an independent Baptist church that if I called the name, you'd be absolutely shocked. Can I tell you something, friend? We're in days when when churches are changing. There used to be a time when if it had independent, fundamental, premillennial, bus running, King James only, uh, hell raise, hell fire, damnation preach. I mean, you kind of knew what you was going to get when you walked in. Can I tell you something? That don't mean anything anymore. There ain't no telling. They're rocking out in independent, fundamental Baptist churches just like they are in any other kind of church today. And there's some scattered around that you can just do anything, live any old way. I said all I'd say this. Let's hold on Amen. to sound doctrine. Hey, let, let's just continue in what we've been taught from the Word of God. Hey, listen, let's, let's hold on. One of the devices of the devil is to get people to start questioning uh, what they have been taught. And the first thing you know, they swallow this, li this liberal theology that's going around in our day, and they change, and their churches change, and then the Spirit of God is grieved, and the power of God is lost, and we become nothing more than just a religious, social institution. And that's all we are. Paul said, you hang on 
to sound doctrine. As we move forward into these last days, buddy, uh, there's a word of exhortation. Timothy, you continue. You hang on to the sound doctrine. And by the way, look at verse 13. I want to do it with a good spirit about me. He said, in faith and love. Listen, I don't want to... I don't want to I don't want to be mean and ugly-spirited about it and, and harsh and critical. I want to have a good spirit about it. But let me just say this. Over here, we're going to keep preaching what we've always preached. And we ain't changing just because the times change and people's opinions about things change and society's accepting this or accepting that. Listen, we're just going to keep preaching the sound doctrine, friend. What we've received, what's been handed down to us, that's been tried and proven and backed up by the Word of God, friend, we're just going to stand on that. Hang on to it. Hold fast. Let me tell you, look at me, look at me. Hang on to it. Don't change just because everybody else is changing. That's not a good reason to change. Hang on to the Word of God. Sound doctrine. But then look at verse 14. He talks about a sacred deposit. Notice in verse number, by the way, a sacred deposit. I want you to look back up in verse number 12 because we made a deposit in God and God made a deposit in us. Look up at verse 12. For the which cause also suffer these things, nevertheless I'm not ashamed, for I know whom I believe and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him. I, he is able to keep that which I have deposited with him. It's a financial term. Committed, deposited unto him. But then we come down to verse number 14. Okay, we deposited our soul and spirit with God. And then we come to verse number 14 and found out that God's deposited something in us. Now, what has God deposited in us? Look at verse 14. That good thing which was committed. There's that word again, committed. Deposited unto, unto thee, keep by the Holy Ghost which dwelleth. You know something? Men of God, the Bible has been taught to us. It has been deposited in us. And buddy, the Holy Ghost has revealed. By the way, the Holy Ghost is a divine teacher who gives us divine truth. And buddy, I'll tell you something, friend. When the Holy Ghost imparts truth unto you, don't you get away from that. There's something. I don't know how you are. But there, and I'm not the, the brightest light bulb in the bunch neither. But I will tell you something. I don't have to listen to a man preach long before the Holy Ghost is already telling me there's something wrong with that guy right there. I don't have to listen to it long. I don't, have to, I don't have to sit there and listen to an hour and try to figure it out because it ain't long. If he ain't preaching that book right there, if he gets a little contrary just a little bit to the doctrines, brother, of the Bible, I mean, I got sirens going off in me. The, the bells are clanging. The lights are flashing off in my heart. You know why? Because I got a divine teacher who has departed imparted unto, unto me divine truth. And, buddy, I'm not going to settle for anything that's not sound doctrine. I remember years ago in Mount Airy, there was this evangelist. He was kind of a spinoff of Billy Graham, and he was, a, he was an evangelist. He was come to Mount Airy, and he was going to get all the denominations together. I can't even remember his name, Dale. But he was going to get all the denominations together, and they were going to have one big, great, big crusade at the Mount Airy High School Stadium. And that's where you go when you preach false doctrine. You go to Mount Airy High School Stadium over there. Brother Kyle, that's where all the false doctrine comes from in Mount Airy. But no, I'm kidding. So he was going to get all the churches together, Catholic churches, the Lutheran churches, the, the Episcopal churches, or the Whiskopal churches, Whiskeypal churches, and he's going to get all of them together, the Methodists, the Baptists, they're all going to come together and going to have one big crusade, and his promise was, I promise you, I'm not going to preach any doctrine over there. Can I ask you something? How do you preach the Bible and not preach doctrine? Well, somebody explain a file that one unto me. 
I mean, how in the world can you preach the Bible and not preach doctrine? I tell you, I'm not at all interested in not preaching doctrine. I just want folks to know where we stand around here. And if it ever comes to the place that y'all no longer stand where I stand or I no longer stand where y'all stand, we need to part ways and move on, friend, because it ain't right to change. Hang on. This church is one pastor away from apostasy. I said this church is one pastor away from apostasy. Don't change. Hold fast the words of sound doctrine. I remember visiting Brother Gross right before he died. And uh, I was over there at that home that they were staying in. And uh, we were visiting, talking, and I got down, prayed, and got ready to leave. And he grabbed me by the hand, and he pulled me back over toward him, and he said, Son, don't change. I got no intentions of changing. I got no intentions. So he's talking, number one, giving him a word of exhortation. Hang on, Timothy. Hang on to the word. Number two, not only is there a word of, of exhortation, but look at verse 15. There's a word of excoriation. Now look up on the screen. if you need. I hate to impress you all with my knowledge here. But if you excoriate somebody, I mean, you kind of chew them up and spit them out. I mean, you, you get after them. And if you look at verse number 15, Paul kind of gets after some people here. Look at verse 15. This thou know. Hey, Timothy, you hang on now, but Timothy, let me tell you, I'm talking about church life. Now, you know, Timothy, that there's some people that's going to turn away. Look at verse 15. This thou knowest that all they which are in Asia be turned away from me. And then Paul does something that we wouldn't do. He starts calling names. <laughs> I mean, you talk about a backbone. He said, let me just be clear about who I'm talking about right here. Phygelus. You know Brother Phygelus, don't you? And you know Brother Homogenes, don't you? Yeah, they done turned away from me, Paul. He's calling names. As we used to say it back out in the country, he's kicking butt and taking names. Man, I mean, he's just letting it go here. He is calling names. And he says, Timothy, you know, you know these old boys, they have turned away. Look back. Uh, by the way, back in 1 Timothy, I read this this week, and I didn't, re I didn't catch it, but I, and then I found, studied it and found it out. Back in 1 Timothy, Paul keeps telling Timothy, some are doing this. For instance, back in 1 Timothy 4.1, he said, The Spirit, Holy Spirit speaketh expressly, that in the latter times, what's the next word? Some shall depart from the faith. I think I had another verse. Look at this verse right here. 1 Timothy 1.6, from which some, having swerved, have turned aside unto vain jangling. Look at this 1 Timothy 1.19, holding faith and, and a good conscience, which some. So Paul is just saying back in 1 Timothy, now Timothy, just, you just know this, some. This is going to happen to some. Some are going to turn away. But when he comes to 2 Timothy, the sums of 1 Timothy have become the alls of 2 Timothy. Look what he said in verse 15. This thou knowest, that all they which are in Asia. A little bit later, he talks about all. Back over in chapter 4, he talks about all men have forsaken me. You know what Paul is saying? Man, there's a great forsaking going on here. There's a great turning away from sound doctrine. There's a great getting away from the Word of God. You know what most people are trying to do in our day? They're trying to make the Bible fit into their lifestyle. 
And brother, ladies and gentlemen, we don't make the Bible fit into our lifestyle. We make our lifestyle fit into the Bible. We go by the Word of God. We hold on to sound doctrine. But Paul said, now, Timothy, just understand this. In the church, you're going to see some, all, many, that are going to just turn away. If you look there at verse 15, I really, we really don't know a lot about these guys. We really don't. The word fidelis, it means, uh, it means oddly enough, it means deserter. And, and the old Hermogen is there. His name means uh, a generation of lucre. Now, I'm going to tell you something. How would you like to be named that? Hey, meet my boy over here. Hey, Figelis, come over here just a minute. I'd hate to have that name on me, wouldn't you? Hey, let me introduce you to my son, Hermogenes. You say harmonica? No, harmogenous. Harmogenous, come over here just a minute. Wouldn't you hate to have a name like that? But they couldn't help the name they got, but they sure could have helped the kind of behavior they exhibited. You know what they did? They turned away. Two things I know about these men. Number one, they were believers. And number two, they were deserters. Boy, I don't want to desert. Do you? I don't want to turn my back upon that which I have been taught to hold dear and to hang on to. I don't want to get I don't want to drift away from that. I don't want you to see me ten years from now and wonder if I'm still preaching from the King James. Man, I don't want you to see me five years from now and wonder if I still stand where I used to stood stand where I used to stood. That's not good English, is it? Where stood You know what I'm saying. You're from the country. You figure it out. But I mean we 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 know that. There are many who are turning Aside, and you know something? As we mature and grow older in the Lord and spend more time in church, we're going to see those who turn aside. We're going to see those who turn away. The Bible word for that is apostasy, turning away from the truth. We're living in those days of an apostasy. There are people who are turning from the truth. They're turning away from sound doctrine. By the way, Here's these old boys that were deserters, but they didn't have to be deserters. I don't want my life to end like that. I don't want to have to die and somebody say, I remember when Brother Tim used to pastor church and really stand on the Word of God. Boy, he sure changed at the end. I don't want to desert the faith. I don't want to desert the Word of God. I don't want to die and somebody put on my tombstone, deserter. Do you? Man, I want to stand where I've always stood and just keep hanging on to sound Doctrine. And boy, Paul kind of gives a word of excoriation. He kind of lays those boys out there and says, okay, here's some deserters. And he calls their names. I could call the name of some deserters. Y'all want me to? See me after church. I call some of them's name. But they're, they're gone. They turned aside. So there's a word of exhortation. There's a word of excoriation. But then I like this. Look at verse 16, verse number 17 and 18. There's a word of exaltation. You see, he starts talking about an old boy who didn't turn aside. Now, his name ain't much better. It's Onesiphorus. How'd you like to... Somebody, come here, meet my boy here. Hey, Onesiphorus, come over here. This is my boy, Onesiphorus. Boy, I'm glad I got Tim and Timothy. Aren't you? Aren't you glad for Fred and Jack? Don't you thank God for Bob and Bill? Amen. Onesiphorus. And Paul writes about him and just says, I just want to tell you, now, Timothy, you're going to encounter these people that are going to leave. You're going to see these people come in the church just passing through. They think they like it. You know something with these liberals? You know what they do? These low-down stinking, I've got a good spirit about me, people that I love very dearly. 
You know what? They use our vocabulary, but they don't use our dictionary. Yeah, I'm independent, fundamental Baptist. Yeah, but we think it's okay to socially drink. You know what they're doing? They're just using our, our vocabulary, but they ain't using our dictionary. You've got to be careful about this mess that's going on in our world today. I'm not saying we're the only ones right because God knows we're not. But I will tell you this. We want to hang on to sound doctrine. Amen. And Paul is just saying, Timothy, there's going to be some that's just going to leave. They're, they're, they're leaving. But son, thank God for those who don't leave. And he calls his name. Look at verse 16. We're done. The Lord give mercy unto the house of Onesiphorus. That, his name means profitable or useful. And he said this, the Lord, For he oft refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chain. In fact, Paul said this when he was in Rome. He sought me out very diligently. I mean, when Paul was incarcerated in Rome, he said, Onesiphorus sought me out. Then he said this, very diligent. We would say, you know what we'd say in the South? Man, he looked high and low for me. I mean, he wasn't going to be satisfied that he found me. He sought me out very diligent. And notice he found me. The Lord grant unto him uh, that he may find mercy of the Lord in that. There's that phrase again, in that day. That day, and in how many things he ministered unto me at Ephesus, thou knowest. Can I say it like this? Thank God. I, 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 I don't like it when people desert. But thank God for people who ain't never going to desert. Amen. Amen. Look at that. He talks about him there. He said there in verse 16, he oft refreshed me. I looked at, I was interested. What's that mean, refreshed? And I looked it up. You know what that word refreshed, it, where we get our English word for refresh? You know what that means? Cool. Paul said this, he often cooled me. You ever been out on a hot day and you're mowing the yard and man, the sweat was just coming down? My wife's so good to do this when I'm mowing the yard and out there sweating, riding that lawnmower, that riding lawnmower, going 60 miles an hour, wiped out the whole end of the deck, almost killed myself on that thing. Having a good time, my wife will always bring me something cool. She'll bring me an ice-cold Diet Pepsi or whatever, and it refreshes me. You know what, you know what he said of Vanessa Forrest? He said, man, every time that guy gets around me, it's just like a cool drink of water on a hot day. Thank God for members. Thank God for preachers' friends like that. I mean, when you see them coming, you don't want to turn away because, you know, they got a good word for you. <laughs> they're, just, they're refreshing to you. They're like a cool breath, a, a cool breeze. On a hot day. They just, man, they just refresh you. Then he goes on down there in verse number 18, and he said, Timothy, you know how he treated me over there in Ephesus, how he ministered. Notice that word ministered. Guess what that word is, our English word, deacon. Let me read it like this. The Lord granted to him that he may find mercy of the Lord in that day, and how many things he deaconed unto me. He ministered unto me. Paul said, when I was pastor over there in Ephesus, he said, when I was over there, Timothy, you, you remember how good he was to me. And Timothy, you remember, son, when I was over in jail in Rome and everybody else was ashamed of me because I'd been arrested. Everywhere I went, I had to walk around in chains. And everybody was just backing off from me. Not old Onesi. Old Nessie showed up over there. And man, he wouldn't give up till he found me. When he found me, it's just like he handed me a good old cold glass, as cold waters to a thirsty soul. 
So it's good news. Proverbs 25, 25. From, he just handed me a cup of... He's just, he's just kind, that kind of a person. So I said all that to say this. Thank God for Onesiphorus in the church. Oh, yeah, there's always going to be old Phygelus. He's going to run away from you. I've had a lot of those in my ministry. But every once in a while, the Lord's given me a, an Onesiphorus. David Davis, who's in heaven, used to get on my nerves so bad I couldn't stand it. But i tell you what that boy was. He is an Onesiphorus. I mean, man, I, he couldn't do enough for me. I, he loved me dearly. I led him to the Lord. He loved me dearly. He was my own. I've got some Onesiphoruses in here. I need some more. And by the way, I'm taking applications here tonight. If you'd like to sign up to be one and just fill out this application, number one, do you believe the preacher ought to be paid $300,000 a year? Sign up right there, buddy. You can be my Onesiphorus. We need some, don't we? Because so many. I told you this last week, and I'm done, but I told you about standing on the back deck, didn't I, and seeing those stars shoot across the sky. And I was so excited that night. I went in there and got my wife, and I said, you've got to come out here and see these stars. I mean, it's unbelievable. There was just one and another and then another. But then the thought hit me. Why do we get so excited about those who fly through the atmosphere? We ought to just get excited about those who are still hanging right where God put them on creation morning that are still in their place. Thank God for the Onesiphorus. Well, let's pray. Father, thank you for the Bible.